Hello and welcome. This article is regarding healthcare denied in prison. And I've chosen it because the Harvard Gazette recently wrote that the Supreme Court may be considering denying medical care to prisoners. And this came from the New England Journal of Medicine, where the Supreme Court, when they overturned Roe versus Wade, it was based on the originalist framework. Their view, experts on law and policy said the originalist view used to overturn Roe could upend the 1976 ruling based on unusual punishment clause. And this is just not a good thing. So with that said, taking it into real time in October 2022, you may or may not have heard, although it was published, that a judge held the Federal Bureau of Prisons in contempt for allowing this man to waste away from untreated cancer. Federal judge wrote that the Federal Bureau of Prisons should be deeply ashamed of medical delays that resulted in a man dying from treatable cancer. In October 10, 2022, this is when this occurred. In November of 2020, Mr. Bardell filed a motion requ requesting compassionate release. He followed it with a second motion in February 2021 with an affidavit from an oncologist. Despite the government's opposition, Judge Dalton offered the ordered rather Mr. Bardello's release, expressing disgust at the situation. However, upon the release, the BOP really didn't want to release him, but they brought Mr. Bardello with his wheelchair to the Dallas Fort Worth airport in the BOP van, only to drop him off. They kept his wheelchair, and he was bleeding and soiling himself. And so, to look at the article. Wait for it to come up. <clears throat> so they said he, he had to be pushed out of it, out of prison in a wheelchair. The BOP band dropped him off on a curbside at, on a curb outside the airport, but without the wheelchair and left him there. He was weak and was bleeding and soiling himself, but managed to navigate the airport's layovers and connecting flights with the help of Good Samaritans. When he arrived back in Florida to meet his parents, his father, they take his own shirt and put it on the seat of Bordeaux, Mr. Bardella's lawyer's car to absorb the blood and feces. Mr. Bardella died in the hospital nine days later. Just not a very good state of affairs. And so I'm not saying that what I'm about to go through is going to solve everyone's problem with, with denied healthcare or healthcare denied. But what I do believe is that preparation in documenting and getting all of your medical information to the probation officer so that it can be included in your pre-sentence pre report before you ever set foot into a BOP prison may solve some of the problems before they ever start, before they even start. And so getting a jump on this, if you will, from a satellite view, before we get into everything medical, is that everything starts with a comprehensive preparation for the pre-sentence interview. And this is going to involve everything medical and non-medical. And so I'll start with, this is an arc an article that I co-published with other Eternals on the critical role that the pre-sentence report plays. <clears throat> and so everything needs to go into this report. That's why it's called the inmate's Bible. And it includes when the judge has to sentence you, there are many of fact, there are many factors that go into the sentencing guidelines. <clears throat> and some of these factors are those that are deal with the circumstances of the offense and the history and characteristics of the defendant. And the sentences and the need for the sentence has to reflect the seriousness of the crime or the offense to promote the respect for the law and to provide a just punishment. So the narrative, which I'm going to address shortly, is a, probably the most important thing that you're going to have to write. It's your autobiography. 
it's it's your life story from a child to what, what brought you to the point where you broke the law. And it has to include you, where you accept responsibility, you have remorse for the victims you created, and you understand the seriousness of the crime. Because this narrative, in a sense, is your brand. And by that, I mean, is that Tesla's brand is SpaceX. Everybody knows what it, what, when you hear the word Tesla. Nike's brand is just do it. Um, Apple's brand is the Apple. Your brand right now is the indictment that the Department of Justice has released, has released to the press. And it's not very flattering. And so you now have to have to write your autobiography, your brand, your you have to put down everything that brought you to the point of where you broke the law, not making excuses, but to give the judge enough information so that he can write or pass a judgment or sentence onto you that is not excessive, but to afford adequate deterrence to you so that you don't so that you don't, you don't commit more criminal acts, protects the public from further crimes. I don't think anyone wants to go back to prison ever again or the first time ever to provide the defendant with the needed educational or vocational training has the medical care that is needed. And then there's kinds of sentences and the sentencing range. And so all of this goes into what the, the judge has. The, the judge has the, the judge has a lot of options at this point. And really it's up to you and your narrative and a release plan and your ability to speak to the judge at your sentencing hearing, which is called an allocution. Understanding these factors that make up your background is going to take hours of someone speaking with you or you speaking with you, not your family or friends, but someone's going to need to speak with you and your family and friends, your employees, community people to learn about you because all that goes into <clears throat> knowing who you are. White collar clients can, are, can be high strung. They can have mental health, mental, mental health issues. <clears throat> Most do have some, something bipolar, anxiety, depression, taking multiple medications. So these are high stress jobs and it doesn't have to be a white collar guy. It could be someone who started their own business and built up a large company. Um, they maybe had job, rather had an upbringing that was difficult. And this is, you push them in this direction. We don't know. What I do know is that you don't want to wait till the last minute to gather all the records that are needed. You, you are going to be required to make copies of everything in, that makes up your biographical background and personal identification, all of the copies of everything. And, in addition to that, you want to write your personal narrative, which is your autobiography, if you will. You want to have a release plan, which is counterintuitive at this point. But all of this has to be, in my opinion and others, provided to your probation officer one to two weeks before your actual interview. Why? Because probation officers, for one, are overworked, very busy, and just have no time. They know nothing about you. And the goal is to get your information in front of them before they have time to discuss you with the prosecutor and form a bias that really is not flattering to you. And so by you drafting your personal narrative, really your personal narrative will have everything in it and it should have everything in it that the probation officer needs for their probation report. It should have all of your educational information in there. It should all have everywhere you worked in there. It should have all your medical records that you've woven into it. It should have what brought you to this point in your life where you broke the law in it. It should have your, your self-responsibility in there. It should have your remorse for your victims in there. It should have if you have a company or business or your education in there. It should have everything in there. And <clears throat> if you're able to 
give all of this information one to two weeks before your interview to the probation officer, get, get it to them through your attorney. This will show some respect and show that you have respect for their busy officer by, by providing all of this to them in a well-organized manner, demonstrating that you've taken the process seriously while assisting them to help them finalize their probation report. Then when you have the interview, this will allow them to personally get to know you in a more relaxed manner, asking whatever questions they may have at the very end. And they may come away with a more positive understanding of who you are, drafting a more positive pre-sentence report and, provi and providing to the judge a more positive recommendation for a, you know, not as harsh a sentence and a placement should you, should you have requested a placement in mind, made a placement request to the probation officer at the time of the interview. So all of this with your narrative well-written could ultimately have a positive influence on your case's outcome. And so this is a very big deal. Healthcare in federal prisons, well, it's probably better than in a better than healthcare in a state prison. Some state prisons are much, much worse. Some are so-so, much better than individual jails. But even with that, there have been deadly outcomes in federal prisons as a result of medical or healthcare denied. Once you go into prison, state, federal, doesn't matter. Don't play sports like you're making a million dollars a year playing sports. Because if you get injured, don't expect to get medical care like you are, like you'll get at home, because you're not. It's just not a good idea. You may get some Tylenol, you may get some ibuprofen. Nobody's going to kiss the boo-boo and say it's all going to be all better. Um, it's another reason for you to have had a very good, if you have a medical file, have all that documented before the pre-sentence interview, because should you be one of the select few that needed to have a second opinion, let's say with an orthopedic doctor on the outside while you're in prison, that can take up to three years to get that second opinion. And then don't have the false assumption that you, when you get the second opinion, you like the doctor and you know what the, you know what the doctor is recommending, that when you get back to the prison, that you're going to have treatment because that's not how it works. <clears throat> when you come back from the second opinion, for this example, when you had an orthopedic second opinion, the clinical director at the prison is not obligated to provide that or to fill that second, to do what that second opinion recommends. All they have to do is to either follow those recommend recommendations or put their recommendation in your file and notify you they're going to do that. They're not obligated. Healthcare preparation, we've gone into You review to a degree, you want to get all your records. Make sure that they're all there. If you have a full medical file, you want to have all of your records. Get copies of all your blood tests, your labs, all your surgery reports. If you had surgery, chances are there's pathology. Copies of all of them, all your diagnostic tests, x-rays, CT scans, MRIs, ultrasounds, EKGs, EEGs, PET scans, all of it. And you get the reports, but you also want to get copies of them on CD, or if they do flash drives, that would be better. They don't break as easily. Get copies of the physician's contact information, their name, email, website, phone number. If you have a unique medical condition and there's a concern on your with your physician regarding the ability to get medical care, you want to get copies of, make sure you have current copies of all of your medical records, all the diagnostic tests, again, blood, blood tests, prescriptions, hospital records, treatment plans, everything. The medications you're on. 
if the medications are not available, and I'll go through the medications in a little while, if they're not available and they're not on any of the Bureau of Prisons drug list, this is when you may want to set up a, you want to have the physician on a conference call and find and identify the attorney for the, the region that you are located in and set up a conference call between your attorney, that attorney, and the physician. Because ultimately, that's what the Bureau of Prisons is going to require you to do. Because the Bureau of Prisons does not take treatment or medication orders from the court. They require that they, and they state in their, in their uh, program statements that you are required to get the, um, the Bureau of Prisons attorneys involved. So rather than wait till it's too late, I recommend doing this from the, at the very beginning. If you need a medical type procedure done, but there's not enough time, my recommendations are that you actually can, if you, for example, I had a hip replacement done a couple of years ago. So I'm going to use myself as an example. Let's say you need a hip replacement done, but you don't have time to have the procedure done. And let's say that you've done all of the conservative work that would normally be done. You have your orthopedic physician has done, you have all of their records. You've taken all the medications. You've gotten all the injections. You've done everything that can be done. And your doctor has provided you with all the information, all of the records and prescriptions. Then the next step for your physician, for your attorney, is to look under patient care, which I'm going to pull up here. This is the same. I'll show you both. So this comes from my article again, page 45, 46, I believe. Give me a minute there. And then we go into scope of services for what's allowed. Scope of services, medically necessary, but not urgent. And what they will do is they will, you're allowed to have these procedures done and one joint replacements. The program, BOP policy, patient care includes joint replacements. We're going to go here. And now I'm going to go here, patient care. And hopefully I can find it without too much trouble. And we're going to go here. Scope of services. It's not going to be medically necessary. It's not non-emergent. Joint replacement. So your attorney can now quote this particular policy, medically acceptable, and then bring your doctor's notes into the into his request to the court. And in his sentencing memorandum, but I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, sentencing memorandum will be submitted to the court a week before sentencing. But in his conversations with the probation officer, and he should hopefully get buy-in from the prosecutor, that you can get he will be asking for placement into a federal medical center so that you can get the procedure in this example, a hip replacement. And that will allow you to have that procedure done so that you can have a productive stay in prison for the remainder of your sentence. <clears throat> and that will allow you to, to participate in the first step back programming to work on your criminogenic needs and to be able to contribute to, you know, to, to others while you are there. And so, this is pretty important if, if, in fact, you fall into this category. This then, if he makes the recommendation, while if he gets the buy-in, if you will, from the probate from the probation officer and from the prosecutor and from the judge, then the medical designation center will set that up to the federal medical center, and you should be okay. Mental health care challenges. We'll deviate a little bit. Let's say you you have problem with. Alzheimer's, well, there's Federal Medical Center Devins has a dementia unit where this is the only one in the country with one wing. I think there's 35 beds. If you have autism or borderline personality disorder, 
there are two prisons that have a wing for autism or a program for autism. And there's two prisons in the country nationwide has programs for borderline personality disorder. So if we open up autism, then this will bring you to the program from the First Step Act. Should it open slowly? And the skills programs for neurological deficits, acquired brain, jam brain damage, autism spectrum disorder. And it goes through what, what it entails. And is at two programs, Coleman, Danbury. If, if you had a substance abuse disorder or mental health issue, and potentially if it was a contributing factor to your crime, and on your own, you, you sought out a programs in either Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous, or therapy of you know for psychiatric therapy for another reason, and you did this on your own, either before your indictment, uh, before your before you went to your pre-sentence interview, but you've done it without being ordered to do so. You did this on your own. Then, as soon as you are able, get a a copy from any one of these agencies stating that you've participated in this program and submit it within as part weaved into your narrative with all the documents that you provided to your probation officer one to two weeks before your pre-sentence interview. And this will show, this will go a long way to showing your probation officer and the judge that you're trying to personally improve yourself, taking responsibility for your actions. You're trying to to better and show personal development. And so this is important because it makes you look better in the eyes of your stakeholders, of which the probation officer and the judge are the first two that you're going to encounter. As you weave this into your narrative and it becomes, and your narrative, it's part of your narrative and your narrative is attached to your pre-sentence report, they're under seal now and your stakeholders are gonna be reading this. And this is a game changer. It's a big deal. Medically, if it is documented, you have a bad back, hip, needs, shoulder, or you have a ringing in your ear, tinnitus, this may make you eligible for a bottom bunk. You have you know inner ear issues, you could just roll out of bed, fall down on the floor. If you're elderly and you have a tough time climbing a ladder, that would probably fall into these other issues. Same thing. Physician notes treatment plans for diabetes, vascular disease, Raynaud's. This may document the need for Medicare-covered diabetic shoes or soft shoe sneakers. These are the actual Medicare therapeutic shoe insert program and insert program from Medicare. I put this here because it's not just the shoe, it's the insert. For those that are diabetic and who have diabetic neuropathy, it's the it's this insole that keeps the diabetic foot from breaking down and forming diabetic ulcers or other lesions on the calluses and then ulcers on the bottom of the foot. Having that steel toe, in addition to a brand new stiff boot, may not be the best bet of someone who has neuro, a neuropathic foot with less feeling. Someone who has Raynaud's, while it's not neuropathic, I have Raynaud's and it is mostly of the arteries, but you're sensitive, you are you get cold very easily and it's very painful. And so that steel will retain the cold, but more important, it can be cold and it's warm outside. And the, if anything's rubbing in there and a stiff boot, that a new boot is stiff. And with that steel over time of rubbing against your foot, I don't know that everyone is going to get a, a, a boot that is double four E wide for a, someone who is diabetic or Raynaud's or borderline diabetic. And that's a chance that I don't know prisons want to take. Prescription drugs, medical devices, medications, generic drugs, a generic drug by itself can be made by several different manufacturers 
so that that one drug can come in several different colors, shapes, and sizes. Just a heads up so you don't get completely freaked out when you look at your drug and it appears different. Drugs on the BOP formulary, these drugs are available, but you should still check the formulary. We'll open it up here to make sure that your drug, and I'll just drag this down a bit, just arbitrarily, diabetic supply is not a good place to be. Dicloxacillin, so it's an antibiotic. So it comes in different milligrams. And if you're taking that, you just want to make sure that whatever you're taking, they have it and in this milligram. But you also want to make sure that the dosage you've been taking, they're going to give to you. And so that's very important that your doctor's treatment plan is followed. Next, because it's what I say here, QD once a day, BID twice a day, QID four times a day. You may, If you need to, let your doctor review the formulary. Non-formulary. These drugs are there. But... The, the BOP discourage, strongly discourages their medical staff from providing them, meaning that their their medical their staff can get fired. I don't know about fired, but they get in trouble. And so, your attorney, rather not attorney, your doctor should, if they find your drug and it's on this list, they need to go to the BOP formulary and find the drug that that's they feel would be similar to this. And if they've already tried it with you, they need to go through and say that this drug, this drug, and this drug that are on formulary were not effective, and then they need to give reasons why. It doesn't work. Otherwise, when you get to prison, the healthcare provider that you're going to meet is going to say, too bad. We're, we're not going to give you your non-formulary drug you're getting. We're going to give you the drug over here. We're going to give you the formulary one. And they're going to be treating like a guinea pig. They're going to give you the formulary, this one, A, which you know didn't work because you tried it, but you, but your doctor, you didn't go, go to your doctor and they didn't give you the reason here. They're going to try then this one, this one. And you're going to have to wait maybe six months until you get it. Maybe. Here is the drug list. And this is the formulary. And these are some of them. And then it goes on through all these drugs here. Here now, therapeutic drug substitution. So what is that? These therapeutic drug substitution, these are drugs that are chemically different, but produce similar medical outcomes. So what does that mean? Well, we're going to go over here and we're going to go to page 44. Well, I'm going to go to page, what page is that? We go to page 44. Where's 44? Okay. So therapeutic substitution is defined as the dispensing of a drug that is therapeutically equivalent to, but chemically different from the drug originally prescribed by a physician or other authorized prescriber. When properly established, a therapeutic substitution program may reduce costs, prevent unnecessary non-formulary requests, increase, increase workplace efficiency, enhance medication access, and improve inventory management. You get that? In other words, they're trying to lower their costs. So it's not a good idea. This will all be available. This article will be available on my website once I formally, uh, once I formally publish it on LinkedIn. And then, when you're self-surrendering, I recommend that all everything you can bring in everything with you: medical devices, medical prescriptions. But the prescriptions for both have to be in your pre-sentence report. You can bring in the medications. Bring in a couple weeks' supply. If you come in on a set on a weekend or a holiday, maybe you'll get to use them. The worst that happens is that they get thrown out, but the documentation has to be in your pre-sentence report. And you can come in with a CPAP or BiPAP, prescription glasses, prosthetics, insulin pumps too, wheelchairs, prosthetics or orthotics, and crutches. This is just a partial list. But any medical device that you have, you can come in with, just it needs to be on in your, uh, in your uh, pre-sentence report, which means that the judges looked it over, the probation officers looked it, looked it over, and you have it's been documented by your physician. I hope you found this helpful. This is part one, and please subscribe to the YouTube.
and share with your friends. Part two is going to follow. This is going to be how to administer. The administration remedy process is used for those who are incarcerated when healthcare is denied. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my YouTubes. Have a good day.